in a series called Here and Now. And uh, the really creative reason we titled this series Here and Now is because when we were planning the series long, long ago, because uh, we plan our series pretty, pretty far in advance, um, we didn't know exactly where we were going to, what things were going to look like at the end of this year. Um, we just knew we were going to get here, and we were going to be here, and it was going to be now. Everybody with me? Nod your head. Yeah. We just we didn't, we didn't know how the election was going to go, and uh, along the pandemic stuff was going to be, and what was going to be happening. Like we we knew we needed to talk about it. We knew we needed to talk about it at the end of the year, uh, especially in terms of how we are responding to these changes and the way 2020 has been. We didn't know what it was going to look like, so we just said, "Well, we need to talk about the here and now," and that's what we're doing. Okay. Uh, as I shared last week, this is our theme verse. Comes from the application at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? This is the message paraphrase. I'm going to have you read it with me in a minute, but I'm going to read it first. This is Jesus speaking. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on, all right? So online and those in the room, I want you to just say it out loud, read it with me, okay? It helps to get the scripture memory into our head. You ready? Let's read it out loud. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on, right? We started with the end, so to speak. We're, we're kind of looking at the Sermon on the Mount, using it as our primary text for this series. We started with the end. We wanted to talk, talk about where we had our, needed our eyes fixed kind of where Jesus was taking them the whole time as he, as he taught and as he taught through the Sermon on the Mount, and he was leading them to this place of hope, okay? Hope, real hope. Not the way we use the word hope, like, oh, I hope it works out, oh, I hope it happens, you know, like wishful thinking or optimism or things like that. That's not, what, that's not how we use the word hope. Matter of fact, if you have seen anything written in our walls here or hear us talk about it, we actually add a word just to help us in our everyday language understand how hope is talked about in Scripture, right? And we use the word absolute hope, right? Absolute hope. Because that's what we look at. So last week we talked about absolute hope versus false hope, using Jesus' illustration. There's a wise man who builds his house on a rock, on the bedrock, and there's a foolish man who builds his house on shifting sand. Okay? Now the storm comes. Storm's going to come no matter what. The storms come, one house remains, one house falls flat with a great fall. As a matter of fact, the, the version we read uh, last week. And as we talked about it, we said, look, this absolute hope that Jesus was, you know, breathing into the life of these, of these followers in this sermon, this absolute hope is the foundation he's talking about. My words, he would say, the words I'm giving you, the words of life, which is who Jesus is, is the absolute hope. It is the foundation you want to build your life on, not on false hope, not on the shifting sand. And we know that storms come, Right? how we respond uh, to storms, or how do we respond to storms, which is the part of this series. But we know that when storms come, they reveal, okay? They kind of they blow away. When the, when the rains fall and the, the floodwaters rise and the wind beats on the house, it reveals our foundation, whether it's built on the rock or whether it's built on just shifting sand. And so this series, we, we, were, we kind of landed, obviously we can talk about many things, but we wanted to land on the two primary ways that we see 
our community, our culture, the church, our country? How do we respond when the storms come? And there's two ways that we see are pretty, pretty normal, pretty, pretty uh, I would say they're even culturally accepted. Those two norms are fear and anger in terms of how we respond. Now, we went ahead and broke this up, so just let you know. I'm not trying to cover it all today. Today, we're going to talk about fear. And next week, we will deal uh, with anger. And I'm sure there's a little bit of overlap, but still, we wanted to kind of address, like, what does that mean? Like, when the, when the storms come, Jesus said last week, the storms will come. What does that mean for you and for me? And I think you know me, you've heard me preach, you've been around here for a while. You know, fear is one of the things I love to talk about. I really do. Part of it is because I'm, you'll learn this if you go to growth track, I'm an Enneagram 7, and so I like to choose and to ignore that fear even exists. Does that make sense? If there's anybody else out there like that, I, I kind of ignore that, that, that fear is a thing. I'm married to a beautiful 6, okay? And she sort of lives out the fear, or is it internal? It's internal. She sort of internally struggles with, with that fear, and so our marriage is, you know, just amazing. You can tell, right? Especially when it comes to those conversations, you know, me ignoring it completely and my wife kind of wrestling through it. So, but that, in all seriousness, like this is one of those things. When I talk with other pastors, when I do church training, uh, uh, when I when I talk with people in the church, one of the things I tend to recognize pretty quickly is fear, the spirit of fear that's resting in someone's life. And I and I just it's just part of been part of my life verse, the second Timothy one seven, you know, God's not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and, and a sound mind and self discipline. That's one of my life verses. And I like to be able to speak into this. And so I was excited to talk about this today, but really, I was even more excited. We did a series on this a couple, I think last year, the year before, called The Faces of Fear. And it was all about who's driving the car. I don't know if you guys remember that, who's driving the car. And I talked about the one that drives the car most of the time. I really didn't get a chance to talk about much, and I want to talk about it today, okay? Because there are different faces of fear, okay? And I, I gave you this list before. All, all these things you can see rooted in fear. Perfectionism has roots in fear. Procrastination has its roots in fear. Compromise, why? Because you're fearful of losing out, and so you'll settle, right? Not the compromise isn't part of life, but, but you've got to be careful about when it's rooted in fear, worry, panic, anger, part of anger is rooted in fear as well, impatience, anxiety, success. Again, if you're an Enneagram 3 achiever, you know, you know this. Like part of the insecurity that rises up in us drives us to success. And that's really still rooted in fear. Apprehension. People who don't take risks, who sort of kind of shore up all their bets. They got to sort of know everything before they take a step. I know you're out there. Okay. I know you're there. Okay. That's, that's, that's a part of the apprehension, but it's, but it's really based in fear. It makes it very difficult for someone to follow and step in faith and follow God when he has something for you. But today I want to talk about what I call fear's secret identity. Fear's secret identity. Why is it a secret identity? There's, a, there's something that I'm going to talk about today. Well, the reason there's a secret identity is because most people would not look at this and even believe for a moment that its roots have its roots in fear. Most, of the, most people, and, and part of that is because our culture says it's normal. Our culture says it's, it's, it's modeled, it's championed, if you will. But this is actually fear's secret identity 
it's security and control. Security and control. You can be thinking, well, Matt, how could those be bad things? I'm not talking about them being bad things in and of themselves. I'm talking about when fear has a root in your life, when it's at the helm, it's driving the car, so to speak, and it's making, you're making decisions out of this, that there's a t- there are things in your life happening where you don't even recognize that fear is driving you. You're making decisions out of fear. But you wouldn't recognize it because the world, our culture, sort of gives it a pass. We, we live, I think I talked about this in the last series. We live in a, in a relative truth culture. So if it feels right, it must be true. And everything in terms of our world, our culture, tells us that security and control is right. We need to fight for that. You need to strive for that. You need to do everything you can to attain those things. And I'm here to tell you, they are in, I mean, they are rooted in fear. How do I know this? Well, because when the storms come and they take away the things that make you feel secure, when the storm comes and removes your control over your life and the outcomes that you want, what are you left with? For most of our culture, it's fear. It's fear. But you have to remove those things. The storm has to sort of come to reveal that foundation that it's still fear driving that. That it's still fear in our lives controlling that. So I want to go to a portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus addresses this. He addresses this this hidden, this secret identity, if you will, this hidden agenda, you can call it, of fear in our lives around security and control. But just to set it up, I have to read a verse uh, before we get into the section because Jesus, again, this is one long sermon. This is a big, a big teaching that Matthew records and kind of gets us, you know, the root of what Jesus was saying. And uh, we're going to talk more about the beginning part next week. If you want to look in your Bibles, you can go to Matthew 6. Last week we did Matthew 7, the end of the message. But one of the things you'll see when you read the whole thing, which I challenged you to do last week, when you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is you recognize that Jesus is constantly setting up the fact that there are two choices all the time. There are two choices. You can do it this way or that way. You can do it my way or your way. You can do it God's way or this way. You've heard it said that this means this, and I say that this means this. Everybody with me? So he's just constantly giving contrast. He does the same thing in chapter 6. But he sets up the part we're getting ready to talk about by talking about money. And here's what he says. This is verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and you will love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Depending on your translation, it might say you cannot worship God and worship money. I like, I like that phrasing because it really does paint for us the picture of fear. Okay? Now, everybody kind of unclench and take a deep breath. This is not a money message, just to let you know. Okay? It's not a money message. Okay? But you need to read this because it's the setup. You know, it's the setup to what he's getting ready to talk about. He's talked about giving and generosity, and you don't do it the way these people do it. Do it the way I say to do it. He talked about serving and fasting and praying, and don't do it like they do it. I want you to do it like this. He talked about money and understanding money. He said, I want, to, I want you to do it this way. I want you to do it this way. And, 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 and in that moment in the crowd when he was teaching, 
when he said, look, no one can serve two masters, you know, you know, just as I do, they're, they're immediately, their mind would have went, okay, yeah, we can't serve God and, say it out loud, yeah, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to say, right? Like, we can't serve God and this. And yet Jesus kind of turns it right at the end and says, no, 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 you can't serve God. You can't have this faith in God and be enslaved to money, which again goes back to the contrast that it's faith or fear. It's faith or fear. He said, I want you to choose faith. You can't, you can't, you can't do both. You can't have faith and be operating out of and living out of and being driven by fear. And so money's not the, the thing at stake here. Money's not the problem. It's the enslavement to money. It's all the promises that money makes. It's all the things that we believe money gets for us. And let's just be honest. What's the, what, in our culture, one of the best ways to set up yourself and feel secure? Money. In our culture, one of the best ways to make sure you have all the choices and control over the outcomes of your life, money, right? So he's saying you can't do, listen, I'm telling you, fear is at work here. Fear is the root here. Can't serve two masters. It's going to be faith or fear, which is why it's the setup to the passage we're going to read. This is starting in verse 25. This is why. You might have in your translation, therefore. Anytime you see a therefore, you need to know what's there for, right? That's a good way to, to study scripture. Anytime you see a therefore, you need to know what's there for. And I just told you, this is a buildup to what he's getting ready to lay out. Can't serve this. Can't have that. Got to do it this way or that way. It's faith over fear. And this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Everybody just say out loud, everyday life. Everyday life, right? This is the word I want you to remember, okay? This is the phrase that I think is most important. Because Jesus says, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food? Isn't your body more than clothing? This is Jesus. Jesus didn't say, hey, I don't want you to worry about stuff. Let me give you a comprehensive list of all the things you don't need to worry about. Everybody with me? He just said, look, I don't want you to worry about life, everyday life. There's no reason to do that. And then he gives sort of this bare, the bare necessities, right? Don't get the song in your head. It's the bare necessities, right? He just sort of gives the, the bare essentials, if you will, as an example. You know, you, you, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or, or food. He could have said shelter. He could have said several things. And then he gives a couple illustrations as we go. He says, look at the birds. Now, he was on the mountainside, so kind of makes me wonder if he, there was a bird, you know, and he just would have went and looked, hey, look at the birds, and they all would have went, you know. <laughs> they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Okay, this is where Jesus is a master teacher. Like, he's walking in through and gives them a quick illustration and says, hey, look at that bird over there. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't worry. It doesn't fret. It doesn't store. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't do any of the things that most people stress and worry and fight for, and yet God takes care of them. Aren't you more valuable than a bird? Of which everyone in the audience listening to Jesus would have said, yeah. Nod your head if you're with me. Yeah. Yeah, 
Are you more valuable than a bird? Yeah. I can say that pretty confidently. Yeah, I'm more valuable than a bird. And then he drops a question. I'm going to spend a few minutes on it, but the question is one that you're, it's going to be one you're going to wrestle with for a while. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Jesus hooks him in with a really simple, yeah, aren't you more valuable than birds that God takes care of? Yeah. He says, hey, can, can all of your worries, a couple translations, can any worry, anxiety, stress, fear, can it add a single moment to your life? To which I know they would have sat there and really not had an answer to that question because it's just not one we think of often. Again, he starts talking about everyday life for a reason. And I don't know if Jesus were to teach this today, what else he would say. Don't worry about your everyday life. Don't worry about your kids' sports programs or the car you're driving or the noise it's making or the incompetent boss or the career path or the 401k or your likes on social media or your receding hairline, you know. Don't worry about everyday life. You know what else is on there? The election. That's on there. That's, on, that's a list of everyday life. You know what else is on there? The pandemic. He says, I don't want you to worry. There's no reason. Therefore, that's why. There isn't any reason for you when you understand the contrast of faith and fear in terms of where your motivation and what's at stake is, there's no reason for you to fear. There's no reason for you to worry. Don't you, you know, go back to it. Aren't you more valuable than birds? Yes. Can any or can all of your worry add a single moment to your life? Now listen, I'm hesitant to talk specifically about the pandemic because it's such, a, it's such an emotionally charged thing. Okay, I want you to hear that. I was a little bit worried, look, if I talk about it, you know, all you're going to hear is what you think you thought I meant that I said, you know, when I meant that I said it. And that's all you're going to hear and you're going to miss the rest of the message. But the reality is, is that we have to talk about it, especially in light of fear, because, you know, we see our world responding to this disease, to this virus, to this pandemic. We see our world responding to it and it's responding in fear. I mean, that's the reality. There's hundreds of articles a day written about why we should be afraid. Okay. There are, you know, it's covered on the news 24-7, at least for, you know, there was about a week where it wasn't. But it's normally covered 24-7. And we see people responding to fear. And that may not be you, but I want you to understand, I understand the emotionally charged nature of, of the sides, I'll call it, of the sides of the argument, okay? And I want to talk about fear in the midst of it. You may be thinking, look, Matt, you're not a doctor, you're not a scientist, and even if you were, you're not the right kind, right? So you shouldn't be talking about it. I think if people just did what they were supposed to do and they stopped what they were supposed to do and follow the rules and listen to the science and listen to those who have our best interests at heart and, you know, wear the masks and do the social and separate the thing and make decisions about traveling and mitigate the risk and stop being so selfish, People wouldn't have to die and they wouldn't have to struggle and things wouldn't be as bad. We maybe wouldn't be where we are today. I want you to know I, I hear you. And I don't think that not living by fear doesn't mean you can't take something serious seriously. So I hear you. 
I also hear the emotional charged arguments about what things are going to look like as the, as the government continues to make decisions, okay? As governors continue to, you know, Gavin Newsom's lost his mind, everybody. I'm just going to tell you, okay? He's lost his mind, all right? Like, as they make decisions and you're worried about government overreach and you're worried about how things are going to play out, and I've had friends who have lost businesses and futures and careers, and I know there's, there's more, you know, there's other illnesses that come up and people say, Matt, you don't, you don't understand that all this is there. And what if they were to, you know, sort of force a vaccine and how does this change things and freedom? And, 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 and I just want you to know, I hear you. I read some of the same things you do. I probably don't read everything, but I read some of the same things you do. And I don't think we can't, again, take seriously something that is serious. But I want you to understand that just possible, not you guys, because you guys are smart and amazing people, okay? But it's possible. It's possible that no matter how emotionally charged your side of the argument is, that it's still possibly rooted in fear. Because what you're actually fighting is what makes you feel insecure. What you're actually working and, and feeling the tension over and fighting against is security or control. Control over how things are going to look. Control over decisions that people are making for you. Control over your own decisions as well. Okay, just don't miss that. You have to be able to identify it. No one in this world is going to look at people who are concerned about security and control and say their life is driven by fear. But you have to consider Jesus' words. Okay, I know you'd like, you'd probably want me to hear, have me tell you which one of those arguments is more right. I'm not going to tell you, okay? Because I don't want you to miss Jesus' words. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? See, most of us would say no. If you've been in church long enough, you might say no. But you're not living that way. Because fear is still at the helm. Fear is still the thing driving your arguments, your conversations. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to worry. Why would you, why would you child of God, more valuable than birds, no duh. Why would you worry? Again, I'm not downplaying the serious nature of anything. I want you to just listen to Jesus. Wrestle with the question. Identify fear if it's there. If you can't do that, you're going to miss the rest of the message. You're going to miss the rest of what Jesus is saying. You have to be able to see it, no matter where you are in the conversation. Jesus continues on. I'm going to give you one quote. This is something I wrote down because he was talking about something greater. I don't, I don't you know, people, would like to, people are telling me all the time what they think Jesus would do with the pandemic. Oh, Jesus would do this, and he would do this, and he would not do that. People are always trying to tell me that. All I know is what I have in his word. And I can tell you in this particular part of his message, He's talking about something greater. That the greater contagion, the greater thing you need to worry about, right now is a world driven by fear, masquerading as security and control. 
because it will not take us towards God. It will not take us where he wants us to be. Everybody with me? Jesus is talking about something greater. And he keeps going. I'm going to go to the next passage. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. I was preaching outside this morning, and I was like, look at the field. There were no lilies. But I was like, imagine if there were lilies. And how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares, this is a good question to ask. If God cares so wonderfully about wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So Jesus starts by talking about value. Don't you think you're more valuable than a bird? Yeah. And then he paints a picture and says, and I'm, we're, t- we're talking about Jesus again, speaking right to the heart of the people he's talking to, and is saying, look at those lilies, look at the beauty and the glory, and yet man, man has never achieved it, even through Solomon and all his wealth, he never achieved it. And look, and this is Jesus' words, look at how insignificant they are. They're here today, they are thrown in the fire tomorrow. Insignificant. And yet God cares And if he cares for something that you would consider to be insignificant, don't you believe he cares for you? Don't you believe he cares more about what's happening in your life? Where is your faith? We talked about last week. What are you building your life on? That's solid rock. He keeps going. So don't worry about these things. I guess just one more time. He's kind of he's kind of bookending it, right? Don't worry about these things. Saying what do we eat and what do we drink and what do we wear? We don't read that the way I think Jesus meant it. You know, think about the people that say these things in a panic. Oh my gosh. What are we going to do? That's what he's saying. Like, I don't want you to do that, Jesus says. And he goes on to say, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. They dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows what you need. He's creating again a contrast. It's not the same for you, child of God. It's not the same. He already knows what you need, right? Now, I I got this illustration last year, um, and I wanted to show it to you really quickly. Um. Just to give you a visual. Again, I love, I love visuals. Thank you, sweetheart. She's the best. All right. I call it the illusion, okay, the illusion of security and control. And it's not because we can't fight and we don't all fight for security to make ourselves feel secure or to feel like we have some control. I call it an illusion because when the storms come and take it away, is it really something that you had control over? No. Right? So I call that an illusion. The problem is that the illusion of you being able to attain it, the, the illusion of you being able to let fear take you to the promise of security and control leads you to what I call the myth of balance. And the myth of balance looks like this. You spend your life 
constantly spending energy trying to balance the security and control that you feel like you need for your life. And you work and you have your family and your marriage and your kids, and then you got to balance that out with work and life and, and, and all that kind of thing. And then you got to balance that out with, you know, friends and social things and hobbies. And you got to work to, to kind of balance that out because you've got church now and some other things there. You got to balance that out. And then all of a sudden, the election, oh, you know, you know we got the election here. And then, you know, we still got COVID. COVID's not gone yet. You know, it's here. And we're just spending all our time sort of just, you know, trying to balance out using every energy we have to fight for the security and control. And the closer we can get to this middle, the closer we can get to sort of balancing out all the stuff makes us feel more secure. Makes us feel like we have way more control than we actually do. And this is what Jesus says. This is how everyone who doesn't know Jesus has to live. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. They don't have a choice but to fight and strive to get that balance and to get that control and security. And then if you're a Christian, we do the same thing, right? We bring God into it. So here's God. He comes in. We're like, ooh, I love Jesus. All right, here he is, all right? If you're a Christian long enough, you might even get good lingo. You might be like, Jesus is at the center. Right? Jesus, oh, he gives me the strength I need to fight for control in my life. <laughs> Jesus gives me the peace when I'm feeling insecure so I can get my security back. He's at the center. Jesus is my co-pilot, right? And yet, do we look any different? I mean, seriously, outside of maybe some of the things we say, does our lives really look any different when the storm comes? we fight for balance and security? No. Does the church really look all that different right now, responding to the coronavirus? No. Not the way Jesus, I believe, intended us to live. Now, I want you to understand, the reason this is normal is because this is what the culture will, will tell you is responsible. This is what the culture will tell you is the, the, the right thing to strive for. This is what our culture will say, give you the pass and say that it's okay when the storms come and, and kind of shake everything. It's okay to respond with fear because you're losing security and you're losing control. And it's okay to be that way. It's normal. And yet you will not find any verses in scripture that will tell you that this is how we're supposed to live. Fighting for balance. Matter of fact, Jesus in this moment makes it really clear. Why would you do this? Why would you do what only unbelievers can do? When your heavenly father already knows what you need. And then he says this. He says, I want you to seek the kingdom of God above all else. Everybody say above all else. I want you to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So here we are with an option as believers to go, you know what? Well, I wish I had a big rock I could put that in, you know? This is how he's called us to live. We do not have to fight for security. 
We do not have to fight for control. We do not have to let fear be at the base and root of our hearts, driving every decision we make to fight to have that myth of balance in our lives. He says, no, I've, I've given you already scripturally from the beginning of scripture to the end, I've given you how I've called you to live. And that's by priorities, right? Priorities, not balance, not control. Priorities built on the absolute hope, our faith and trust in Jesus. Because guess what? My marriage is still there. My kids are still there. My family's still there. My work is still there. My mission's still there. All of these things, the election's still there. COVID's still there. So what happens when the storm comes? Everybody with me? Does it ultimately change anything? No. No, because my eyes are still fixed above all else. Say above all else. My eyes are still fixed on the author and finisher of my faith. Jesus hasn't gone anywhere when the storm comes. Nothing's actually changed. And instead of wrestling and just exhausting myself in life, trying to respond to the storms with the myth of balance, I could just remain aligned with him. Oh, the storm's going to come and it's going to shake and it's going to do, but my home is built on the rock. And my eyes are fixed on him. And everything else, I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. I don't have to stress. I don't have to fight for control. I don't have to fight for security. They're going to come aligned with my eyes fixed on him for what he is calling for my life. And when you live like this, and Jesus says, Matt, can any of your worries, can all your worry add a single moment to your life? I say, no. Does he care more for you than the birds? Yes. Are you more valuable? Yes. Do I need to worry about that? About the, the stuff that everybody else they, their thoughts are dominated by those. No, not at all. I just have to continue to seek first the kingdom of God, live righteously, and all these things are going to come. All of these things will be added. And then Jesus ends. He ends his, his sermon only the way Jesus can, in a fashion that is so uniquely him. What does he say? So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Thank you, Jesus. Put that in a Hallmark card. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that is not encouraging. Today's trouble is enough for today, right? Today's trouble is enough for today. Oh, I just, I just landed all these things, and I worked you right to the end about what fear is doing, and that's not what I've called you to do, and you have a choice. But at the very end, Jesus gets real <laughs> and says, oh, this isn't, this isn't just a single choice. This is not a one-time choice. Don't worry about the choices for tomorrow. You have enough choices to deal with today. You're going to continue to have to choose faith over fear. 
And it's not going to be a one-time decision. It's not even going to be just a daily decision. It's going to be a moment by moment by moment by moment decision. Because everything you run into in this life is going to tell you to try to balance it. Try to get that security. Try to get that control. Fear to take over. And moment by moment by moment by moment, you're going to have to be able to see it. You're going to have to be able to recognize it. And you're going to have to be able to say, look at the bird. That's not the way I'm called to live. Not if I'm building my life on absolute hope. Not if I'm living aligned with the priorities he's given me. That above all else, I seek him. I do not have to give in. I do not have to live from fear. All of this matters. Why? Because I'll go back to the verse we read at the beginning. Because Jesus said, I don't have it on the screen, by the way, I'll just read it. These words I speak to you, they are not incidental additions to your life. They are not meant to add to to the balance you're trying to find. They are not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. This isn't given, my words are not given to you to try to tweak the outcome that you are trying to control. No, they're foundational words. Words to build your life on. My prayer today is not, is number one, that you would not get stuck on what you thought I did or didn't say about the coronavirus. I don't, I just, I know that's a temptation. Don't get stuck there. My prayer today is that you would begin to seriously evaluate where fear, masquerading as security and control, what it's doing to your life right now. And as you reread the Sermon on the Mount, you get to this part and you get to this section where he's asking those questions and he's really wanting to probe into the fact that this is not how you are called to live in this myth of balance. I want you to just kind of be honest with yourself about where fear lives and that you have a choice every day, every moment, every time. You have a choice to choose faith. You have a choice to build that next decision on the absolute hope and the rock that is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I'm very thankful for the challenge that your word brings and that this sermon that's so rich, we couldn't even get into all of it, God, the richness of this sermon as Jesus spoke it, as it echoes right now in 2020, that our lives seeking to, to shore up security for ourselves and for others and family and, and, and fighting for control, that God, you did not call us to live that way. So God, I'm praying today, right now, for those here, for those this morning, for those online, as they listen to this and are challenged by this, that your Holy Spirit is already doing a work. Your Holy Spirit is already nudging and prodding and revealing 
where fear resides, where it's been hidden and yet resides in our lives. And then God, by your spirit, you give us the power, not the spirit of fear, but the power and of love and a sound mind to be able to make the choice to choose you, to choose faith, to choose to build our lives on absolute hope. Thank you so much, Jesus, in your name. Amen.